This is Frameform. Hello, and welcome back to another season of Frameform. Woohoo! I mean, it's only episode two, but here we are, reunited after our good long break that we like to do. Except even better. Because it does get better every year. I'm really excited for all the stuff we have planned. And I think we're starting off pretty strong with our location series today. Always a crowd favorite. Always super fun for us. And I think it sort of serves a very practical function as our way of like organizing and classifying screen dance, dance films, music videos even just regular old films and videos that we see online. It's going to be interesting today. I think it would be good to kind of refresh what we did last season for those that either listened or might want to listen back. Yeah, so last year we took a look at the uh, very ubiquitous warehouse as a location, and we also took a look at deserts and water. Is that right? Tell me I'm right. That is correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the funny, th- the funny thing with water is that there were, s- with all of them, but I think especially with water, there were so many subcategories and different forms of water. And one kind of branch off of that topic was empty swimming pools. And this was something that Hannah in particular was like, we have to do an episode on this. Yeah. And there really are so many examples. So... We're only going to cover a few today, as per usual, but we've got a few honorable mentions, and of course, we're also going to unpack some general trends that we see, some practical considerations, like potential advantages and challenges to shooting in that location, and also just what kind of works, and what can we kind of compare and take away as an interpretation of the kinds of projects that we see made in these environments. Yeah, when we're talking about swimming pools, uh, we're not talking about uh, dance films taking place actually in the water in the swimming pool. Yeah, this isn't an Esther Williams situation. Yeah, (laughs) this is abandoned swimming pools or just empty swimming pools. Trendy thing that I've noticed over the years of watching screen dance online and... You know, I don't want to say that they all look the same in some cases, but we do have some examples today, starting off with Empty. This was a Nowness piece. Uh, If you don't know Nowness, go on their Vimeo or their website. They are an artist series filled with dance, music, fashion, you name it. Uh, This is not the first time that we've brought nowness to frame form and it won't be the last empty which is a now claire remind me what country is this one from this one is uh from spain uh from barcelona specifically yeah gerard montero directed this and paloma munez choreographed it in this piece we have five dancers in a swimming pool abandoned swimming pool empty swimming pool of course dancing in the space but you know it's a little something quick something different I don't know about you guys but when I was writing down my notes by the time I was really getting into it Mm -hmm. the credits showed up I find that a lot of times the best screen dances are the ones that really 
are in that overlap in like the Venn diagram of dance and cinema, like the more they really master composition and rhythm and movement down to an essential level, the better they are. And I think that while every element of this was really good, and even from the beginning, I, I really liked the sound. Um, and even from the beginning, I think it was really strong. Ultimately, compared to the other films we're going to highlight tonight, I think this one almost didn't need to happen in the environment in which it was set. And that's kind of a common criticism we have sometimes. Like, does this need to happen here? Does it need to happen in this medium? And while this is strong, I've got no complaints. It's great. I love it. Uh, I don't think it does it as masterfully as the other two that we're going to talk about. I agree on that point. Um, I did have a bit of a bifurcation as I was watching this because this film not only uses an empty swimming pool, it also uses an empty gym. Yes. And I think it's very, very important to note right off the bat that when we think about abandoned spaces, specifically like when we think about abandoned warehouses, yes, we're unsure of what might have happened there in the past or what um, sorts of activities have happened there. It might be an old activity center. It might be an old factory. It might be an old community space. But with something like a gym and a swimming pool, we have associations of what actions can be performed there. And I think that as we're watching these films, we have a certain idea, even just subconsciously, of associating those actions with that location. Now, I think I felt that the film was weaker and a little less intentional when it was showing those moments in the gym space. And I think part of that is because there's so many activities that can be performed in that space. And when we see a mover there, in a way, it almost feels arbitrary because, okay, this can happen, so can so many other things. But looking at the swimming pool, we really see, to me, it's impossible to divorce that movement entirely from what a synchronized swimming team would look like or in sort of like the orderly nature of it. Right. And there's also a strength in the composition as well because we do have those lines and the choreography itself is very geometrical in nature and it's both playing with that linearity as well as breaking form and really almost contrasting that linearity with some of the more fluid movement. I think that's so well put. I mean, as always. Um, But that was so well put. And the architecture and the lines is definitely something that we enjoy in any setting. And especially when we've got like the tiles and the different surfaces and the dimension of, of an empty swimming pool or a gymnasium. Like there's so many different ways you can access the space, not just choreographically, but where you shoot from with your camera. You can get up top and aim down. You can be in the pit aiming up or level and have this backdrop. And I think that some of the later examples we're talking about do an even better of this, um, even better job of this, really immersing you in the environment, which is not always something that you get from, let's say, a parking garage. I I don't know if I want to be immersed in a parking garage, (laughs) but being in a pool that I normally don't see without water and where I can take in all the the tile design and the color and the texture. Um, I mean, that might be a little more interesting to watch. Yeah, I think just overall aesthetic is what the main thing we're seeing. And when I mean aesthetic, I mean not just like it's nice to look at. Yes, it's nice to look at, but it's like that trendy nice to look at kind of thing 
that you know all Gen Z is trying to strive for, or even us millennials, when we're making art on screen. And that is definitely shown in our next film. So our next film, Maze, Scottish ballet, um, ballet dancers Madeline Squire and Javier Andrew, they find themselves in a swimming pool space. And not just a swimming pool, it's, there's also like the bathrooms, the changing rooms. Uh, we see places like the shallow end that shows up. So different parts of a pool house that you would see. I actually... I would say maybe two pools we're seeing in this film. Yes, definitely. Yeah, there was the the large pool and then a smaller pool that they moved to later. Yeah. Also, did this remind you of Curing Albrecht? Like the the stalls seemed very similar, but this setting was like more gritty and like not as bright, I found. I can see that in the color palette, yeah. 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 Definitely moody. When I first saw this film a while back, I definitely thought of Curing Albrecht from what we know and love. You know, very big topic on water in there. Where in this case, um, we see some kind of swimming metaphor through their movement. But I don't know. This was also one of those things where, like, it's very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Um, the camera angles is just so clean. And the lighting and the way it's shot in general is just very nice to look at yes um Mm -hmm. but i found myself in a moment of thought where i could see this in other locations yeah but um but it would have to use the same exact kind of um you know wide space versus uh narrow space the reveal and the conceal that we get through some of these um, constricting moments. I actually disagree with that. Okay. Um, Fight on. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) fire explosion. Um, I actually thought that a lot of the choreographic movement and some of the choreographic textures actually responded to a lot of the work that we saw in the space itself and a lot of the tile designs that we saw in the space itself. And specifically thinking that there's this one tile design that's somewhat abstracted, but it's very much in line with the movement that uh, the dancers are performing. It's almost like they're doing like a Forsyth style writing the room with that design in mind. Now, there's um, certain motifs that I think are unique just to the movement language of the duet, specifically when it comes to the the movement of the head, which um, is consistent upon all the locations depending on where they are seen. I think that the location itself really has a particular specificity to like a very very old style of swimming pool where it really is some aesthetic value to it but it really is function above all over form just with the the tightness of those stalls and something interesting about this particular pool um and this is me going all architecture nerd here. Uh, also, just I love Glasgow as well. That's one of my favorite cities. And it's also a phenomenal city for architecture. And this particular pool was actually built um, sort of in the early Victorian era, right as the Glasgow's architecture scene was completely exploding, um, specifically with Art Nouveau. And it's a pool that, that's very much tied to that city and has a very specific design that is present and also as with many of these films 
that we've seen has fallen out of use. Though I did read that um, they are planning renovations and planning on opening it up again. I think that this is a really interesting example of an opportunity for screen dance, though. When we talk about where are the opportunities for funding to to get a location, to get someone to honestly help co-produce this film or have an audience, what a great opportunity when you have these historic settings and you can create choreography, you can create movement specifically for that place. And, you know, the, the camera element of actually capturing things as they are is incredible. So I think that there's a really interesting opportunity for dance film to be a way that we can see places that are otherwise forgotten and maybe at best experienced as like a museum exhibit or in still photography. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to shout out Claudia Kappenberg, who presented at the Screen Dance Symposium. And she presented this old engraved uh, dish. And the film gets so close to it. And we hear a voiceover as we go across this piece of art that you maybe would have just seen hung up in a, in a display cabinet. But now through camera and editing and music and creating a screen dance, we can actually experience it in a new way. So... At the same time that these are just cool videos we found on the internet, there's also a huge opportunity here on a practical level. So for anyone that's listening as a filmmaker, take that idea and run with it. Like, let's see some cool rejuvenations here. I 100% agree, but I'm going to say but. (laughs) I, I love this kind of stuff. But there's a part of me where I'm just tired of seeing it. <laughs> and I'm going to call back to our episode of The Warehouse or, like, even the parking garage, as you said, Jen, um, the desert. I mean, I'm just kind of tired of these spaces as a backdrop. They're great and all, but I want to see a little bit more substance to the interaction of environment. So when we go back to our desert episode, calling back to the film, uh, You Wanted Rivers, I think that was the best example of interacting with the environment, you know, using the idea of juxtaposition with desert and water and, you know, rolling on the rocks, actually being captured by the environment around them. In these, I'm getting a little bit of that. In these two films that we have here, Claire, you definitely supported them with, you know, the history and the architecture of all that. Mm -hmm. But as the general audience, that's not going to be doing that kind of detective work. It falls a little behind. I don't believe that every film needs to have a clear story with a beginning, middle, end. But there needs to be some structure and there needs to be some, maybe some symbolism, some sort of anything for people to hold on to and begin to make sense of what they're watching so they can actually feel something and think something and engage. That's where our next film really succeeds because I think that we don't just get this backdrop. It really becomes a world or a playground more than just a cool aesthetic. Yeah. Can I add just one more thought? Yeah. So I think it's also worth noting, um, and yeah, thank you both for bringing up these points and it's something, Think, and that actually just sparked just an observation about Maze specifically is that while the movement does respond visually to 
the space, it doesn't necessarily bring that tactility to it. We do get a sense of intimacy with the sound design, which I, I do think is spectacular, but there really is an, a lack of real, real feeling of that environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lay it all on the movement vocabulary, but it is worth noting this is, you know, this is Scottish ballet. We're working with ballet vocabulary and a lot of nature of that means that, you know, you are, you know, this dancing body in front of something that looks cool. And uh, there was actually some criticism about Maze when it was released because it did get quite a bit of support from the city, from Arts Council, and it was labeled as something, quote, innovative. But... I mean, keep in mind, the Scottish screen dance has a long history. And, you know, just because we're bringing ballet into it, now people are paying attention. Right. Yeah, I think that that's also another nature of ballet, which we will discuss much later on in the season that uh, affects the reception of this film, too. Well, I think that's something that we also saw with the pandemic. While it was really exciting that there were a lot more films being made, Um, There were a lot of people that, for lack of a better word, or were, uh, for lack of a better phrase, were, I guess, late to the party. And just because, you know, someone hasn't seen it before doesn't mean it didn't exist. And I think this is part of the ongoing uh, journey of a lot of us, even us, the three of us on this podcast and our listeners, is we're always looking to explore and expand that web of knowledge. It's true. It can be hurtful, quite frankly, when maybe you're someone else over here that's been doing the work for literally decades in the case of Scottish screen dance. And then you're like, uh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. Well, speaking of uh, looking back in the archives, we'll uh, actually take a look at a film that's uh, I wouldn't exactly call it old, but it is almost um, It's nearing almost a decade in age, and that is the Dutch film Sink or Swim. So this film, uh, directed by Michael van Hulde and Jeko Toivenen, that's the best Finnish pronunciation I can ever get. I think you did better than the average person would. Um, I guess if I were to sum this film up in one sentence, I would call it uh, Lord of the Flies in an Empty Swimming Pool. (gasps) I love that. That's a good that's a good analogy. So good. And it's like minus some of the carnage, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll we'll get to a, a more in-depth discussion about that later, but that was something that was honestly refreshing about watching this film. So, we essentially see these two boys coming out of a water slide and entering into this dry desiccated environment. And I think this is something that's very important in the narrative that we do see the water coming through the slide, but they exit into a dry space. So we are implying that maybe they're traveling from one world into another space. And so it's giving rationale as to why they're there and why they're discovering what they're discovering. And as a viewer, it set me up right away to know, wow, I'm watching something really amazing right now. (laughs) Because immediately, I can only imagine seeing that on a big screen, too. But you're, what a cool thing to be immersed in. You're in a water slide. That's one of the peak experiences of life, is being in a water slide. Yeah. So to start off a film that way Mm -hmm. really gripped me. And I I knew right away, okay, we're dealing with another level of creativity, of camera movement, 
and storytelling here. Yeah. And one of the worst experiences in life is being on a dry water slide. And I think this film Ooh. really communicates that well. Yeah. I got a I got a rash just mentioning that. <laughs> I loved the creativity of this film, honestly. Um just maybe that's because as I've said with the last two, I'm like I'm tired of seeing just like, you know, 20 somethings you know who belong to an amazing dance company and just dancing in the space wearing nude or just (laughs) you know trendy colors and mustard where this one was like okay like you know let's take what summer is like with boys and build a story narrative dance out of that and it purely reminded me of last summer where I actually joined a pool and I would see kids like this all the time like all of their mannerisms you know towel whipping each other (laughs) didn't see much towel whipping but like that whole sequence when they're going up to the edge and trying to jump in and like seeing who's the coward who's the daring one you know who's gonna make in this case the biggest splash or the biggest jump I, I don't know it just like definitely rekindled that feeling of being a kid and are you gonna join the gang or not mm-hmm. you know sink or swim yeah exactly sink or swim absolutely thematically it all comes together which makes it so much stronger just adds this weight to it from the start. And I mean, talk about unique pool locations. I would have loved to be in that pool. (laughs) That's stonework? Like, please, come to my house. Swimming in a maze? But this is another location that I tried my best to do a deep dive on, but my Dutch isn't quite so good. So this building that we see was actually built as um, sort of an alternative for people traveling to to Spain or to the Mediterranean in the winter. So uh, this was actually filmed in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. It's pretty, pretty dang cold um, for <laughs> a good part of the year. And so this was sort of designed as a very convenient getaway for families. However, it was bought out in the mid-90s. And even though the pool had been built in 1989, it basically had been drained by the mid-90s. And... Through a series of ownership changes, it was eventually abandoned. So it's very tied to sort of this late 80s, almost like a late 80s decay in a way. And another very interesting thing that I found in the Wikipedia pages, again, using Google Translate, so I can't exactly speak to um, the accuracy of my interpretation (laughs) here. But one of the big issues here was actually the rowdiness of the youth in that area. So I don't know if this was intentional from the um, the directors to have that as a central theme, but it was really satisfying learning that and then connecting that watching this film. Yeah, I mean, in regards to the space, the way the boys were interacting with each other, but I have to also say, cam- like, the camera angles, you know, we had something a little different with empty and maze I felt like with those two instead of the pool being this wide open space it has all these curves and you know walls like the only time we were seeing walls in the other one were basically wall as a backdrop or wall as a changing room it's kind of like a labyrinth it's like a 3d maze in this yeah exactly and 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 how the water slide introduces us in there you know is that you know we are entering a different world this is a labyrinth. Uh, you know, kids are also peering behind the walls, um, looking from a- afar, which 
um, I really appreciated because even though we associate swimming pools with a giant body of water that's, you know, shaped as a square, in this case, with the personality of the kids, you know, navigating through their own ways of, you know, social acceptance or just being social animals. I mean, humans are, we have, we're part of the animal family. So these are just young humans working out their hierarchies and and working out their fears and their power dynamics. Power dynamic. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. And it's common behavior that you'd see, at least in a pool that's full. Like, I mean, that, I mean, I say pools bring out um, really the inner animal of any, any child that you throw near it. But here, since there's a real sense of a stake that the pool is empty because a lot of that rowdiness and that rough housing and that game of chicken has very real stakes now that the water's gone. Yeah, like you could split your skull open. It's so crazy. Like when we first see that ju- that big jump from one of those kids, he does a backflip and he lands it. Yeah. I mean, but the funny thing is, it's just like, yeah, you see these kids at the pool during the summertime doing exactly that. So it's even crazier to watch this, you know, going into hard ground, not, you know, buoyancy that's going to catch you a little bit better. It's hard to not turn away and see what's going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I do want to know about, like, this kind of environment of pool, as I was saying, it's not, like, the backdrop. It's not, it doesn't have, like, a proscenium feel to it. In this case, it's kind of like we're in a round table at a different kind of, you know, maybe Judson Church Mm -hmm. um, proscenium. Yeah. In a round. But one thing I kept thinking to mind, like, I wish I saw more of these pools where, I mean, in this case, they're kind of, they look like one of those, like, lazy rivers where you're going to be, like, floating yes. down. Um, I would love to see a f- dance film taking advantage of those kind of cut corners of, like, how do we see the space and, like, shaping it with the camera, mm-hmm. whether that be, you know, with a Dutch angle, off-center, um you know, when we're looking at films that take place in alleyways, how we can reveal and conceal and change where the access is. Like, that would have been really awesome to see um, in a dry pool environment, as if we would have seen that in a wet pool, full, full pool environment. Wait, if this film is from the Netherlands, is every angle a Dutch angle? Ha! Ha! Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm so pleased with myself right now. Good night, everyone. I'm done. (laughs) I think what this does really well, like you're saying, is that it has those layers of choreography. It's not just the fact that the setting is really cool and offers so many options. It's also that the choreography is set so well for that. It's rhythmic. To me, this film has the most dancey, the most active choreography as well. Not to disqualify... The, the great choreography in the other two films, particularly in Maze, I really enjoy the interactivity um, and the partner work yeah. and the strength and the clarity in the performance. But with this one, it's just, it really does give that spirit of play, which adds to the story and the characters. So it's all working together. And then you get the editing that also is rhythmic and jumping around in different angles. And that's also just a product of getting the right coverage and just doing a really good job shooting it. So I think this film's a great case study of how to p- 
pick a strong location within something that's maybe been done already. And then also really dance with your edit and dance with your different tools that you have when you're actually there shooting on location. Yeah, I would also like to say about these kind of locations that we've been talking about. I want to go back to, you know, the backdrop in these locations, which is not just the swimming pool, but as we've stated, warehouses and deserts. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just throw in parking garages out there, too. (laughs) Um, But, you know, all of these are the void. We've brought this up before. You could say a stage, a dance stage, a proscenium is a void. Many dance studios, we usually have just a blank background or is a white screen and we're just putting colors up there and maybe that's just something that we're used to putting us into an environment is showing the reality out there whereas like in narrative films the void is like this fantastical place we don't even know what the place is you know looking at places like the matrix or under the skin where you don't know what the possibilities are how how are we bringing that into why are these like a void well i think that it's always worth noting um especially when it comes to western classical dance that this notion that the studio is a neutral place is very much a western classical construction and it really it's it's something that a lot of at least a lot of dancers who have trained in these you know in western classical forms have accepted as sort of a blank neutral space because it's been intentionally decontextualized for the purposes of their movement and their training. And so I think that there might be a conflict like a conflation of, you know, maybe here's this this empty space is transferable. Whatever's created in this empty space is transferable to whatever empty space I I see. And obviously that's um there's a lot of problems when it comes to that. And it, I think there's a lot of problems, even when you contextualize what a completely blank, devoid of signifier kind of void is. Um, because again, a lot of the, the intention for those is somewhat, um, it, it's almost an attempt to neutralize the space. But even with that, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of colonial significance to that because a lot of that you know, revolves around this, I really, again, Western classical ideas. So when it comes to the warehouse and the desert and the the swimming pool and the parking garage, I mean, I think that a lot of dancers see them, um, especially during the pandemic, see them as, you know, just alternatives to the dancing space, just another place that has this, this, had this has this broad environment but is readily accessible. It's familiar enough, but different enough and offers enough character to be something that might inspire a thread of creativity or artistry. But at the end of the day, it's very practical because it's a rectangle (laughs) in some ways. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have that wall that I'm always running into or... You know, beams. Oh my pole. gosh, the supporting oh. beams. <laughs> beams. There have been multiple times I have looked at at studio space, and every time there's a beam, I'm like, ah, I can't do it. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Must wait. Even bars attached to the walls. That's like, I mean, so many possibilities, but also just so much danger there. <laughs> I just want to 
be mindful in future or like I want people to be mindful not me I know I know that I'm gonna be mindful but I just want people to you know interact with the space a little bit more and you know play around with the fact that it's not just a swimming pool Mm -hmm. you're in a sunken space so how you can play around with open in this case it's like an open ceiling it's a great way of putting it Totally. And just understanding that even if you see it as a neutral space, others might not see it that way. Like, again, a swimming pool has some very specific signifiers attached to it that are inevitably going to be attached to it when people watch the film. But something I noticed and was really, really hoping that they'd explore was the shifting depth of the pool. Like it was it was literally like a background object and there were no cameras mounted at floor level, there, yeah, very few actually like inside the pool, like inside the pool space. Though something I do want to note, and maybe this just relates to my personal experience, um, is that a lot of old pools get converted into dance studios. <laughs> the dance studio I grew up in, um, in San Jose, actually, one of the studios used to be a um, Victorian era pool. Um, the college I went to, the studio theater, also used to be a pool. UW, which is where the Screen and Symposium was, uh, a big space there used to be a pool. And in my research, I found no fewer than five other dance studios had been converted from pools. It's a conspiracy. (laughs) It's a pool-spiracy. It's a cult. We did it, y'all. We nailed, you know, our first fully recorded episode of season three. And I'm just glad to be back in this rhythm with y'all. Oh, same here. Same here. It was just so much fun to dive back in with this. Literally dive head first. Cannonball. Jen, Claire, it's great to be back. It is so good to be back. See you next week. This is Frameform. Hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. With social media assistance from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.